Father, in the name of Jesus, we uh, once again we come before you as we acknowledge your presence in our midst and the privilege of us being in your presence. We also acknowledge your authority in our lives. And Lord, as we approach your word, we, we acknowledge also the authority of your word. And we humble ourselves before you. We open our hearts. We ask you that you will pour out your spirit that will touch every part of our being, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our emotions, our feelings, everything that we are. We ask that, we, that everything that, uh, what we are, who we are, will be touched by the truth that is contained in your word. Lord, we ask you, because we know that it is only that truth, the truth that is contained in your word, that will transform us and change us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's all go to Ephesians chapter 6. And I am going to read from verse 1. This is a good thing. Good start here. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Or another translation uh, writes, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, <laughs> but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, bond servants or servants, slaves, in, in, in some translations of right, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Interesting. That's you can apply it to boss, staff, all that. Not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Pretty much he gives the, the perspective here. And uh, I just want to comment that I, I used to work in the factory. I mean, many of you know the story. I, being, being a disciple of Jesus, in my heart I always say, God, I'm serving you here. And whatever I do in the factory, I was serving the Lord. That was the way I, I discipled myself. And verse 9, Masters, do the same to them. In other words, do it as unto the Lord and stop your threatening. Interesting. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. All right, the, uh, the last uh, few weeks especially last week, last two previous weeks, we've been talking about relationship, and I'm going to continue on that subject of relationship, because uh, as I talk to different people after, after uh, Sunday and 
few days even after that, a lot of questions, a lot of, uh, lot of interesting uh, insights from people. And uh, the point I was making concerning relationship, last week I, I was saying if, if God became a man, obviously Jesus, God became a man, a perfect man who embodied truth, love, peace, and every other virtue that you can think of. And yet, this is, this is a person, the perfect person, you think he would, he would not have any problem with the relationship. And yet, we discover as we read the story of Jesus, he had all kinds of problems with, with relationship. First with his family, who called him a raving madman. <laughs> with the community he grew up in, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. <laughs> and uh, with the religious leaders, they hated him. Even with the people closest to him, one betrayed him and the other one denied him. So uh, the point I was making, if you look at, look at Jesus on fa face value, it's like as a leader, Jesus, you have a, good, a very good track record because you began with 5,000 people and then 4,000 people. You ended with 12 people. <laughs> and two of them didn't do the right thing by you. One, one uh, betrayed you and the other one uh, denied you. So, on face value, you haven't got a successful right on your leadership skill, really. And on personal basis, it could be like there must be some a level or a, a, a portion of dysfunctionality about your personality, Jesus. Something you've done something wrong. So, in 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 a, in, in the face, you know, facing that reality, we we. Discovered what Jesus, what Jesus did with relationship, he did two things. He defined, he defined it or redefined what relationship is. Number one, number two, he managed the relationship. How he defined it, and we, we discovered in, uh, you know, the first thing is he defined what family is. In Mark chapter three verse thirty one, he said, "Who is my, who is my mother? Who, who are my brothers?" They that do the will of the Father. It really is that simple. He redefined what family is. And then in John chapter 15, verse 14, he also redefined what friendship is. If I read John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not, a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So he redefined what friendship is and what family is. And then, so redefining what relationship and also now he created space in relationship. If you can put the, uh, the, the PowerPoint. So as we talked about last week, and I, uh, the point I was making is, in relationship, every person belongs to a space. And the success of relationship is our, it depends on our ability to manage that space and who belongs where. And Jesus did that. In the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, like we discussed last week, he had the crowd, he had the 12, and he had the followers, the 70s, and even within the, the, the 12, he had 
very close people that he actually really showed himself very vulnerable to them. To the crowd, he would not make himself vulnerable to them. If you don't believe me, we can read the uh, John chapter, chapter uh, 2, where it says that the people trusted Jesus because of what he did, because of what he performed, signs and wonders. And then the, the very next statement, it says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to people because he knows what is in the heart of man. Are you hearing this? There's two, two uh, the same words, trust. Two levels of trusting. The people trusted Jesus because of what he performed, what he did. But Jesus did not entrust himself to those guys. Interesting. So, somebody threw, threw the question. So when I say Jesus defines and redefines relationships, what is the context? Is it limited to Jesus' relationship with others? Can we also apply that definition to our friendship and relationship? Let me say this. If we have the understanding that we define what relationship is, you know, a few, two weeks ago, relationship is partnership in the pursuit of God. That is true relationship. Because all of us here, we're here because we are pursuing the will of God. Aren't we? Good. Aren't we? Good. <laughs> so relationship is partnership in the pursuit of, of the will of God, the purposes of God. So, who are our friends in that context? You are my true friends. We are in true partnership if you're living your life in the pursuit of God's will. Now, there are other friends, other people that I associate with, but because they're not pursuing the will of God, that I cannot invest my, 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 my whole time with them because there are people that God's put in front of me who are actually partnering with me in the pursuit of the will of God. Those people that I would invest everything I have. Someone like Carvin, someone like Anna, someone like Dan. I would do all I can to, to do all I, you know, all, I, all I have to make them better than I am. That is true partnership and that's what friendship is. And on, on the level of, you know, you might ask, okay, does that mean... They have to obey my commandment? Well, put it this way. As the pastor of the church, for that relationship to, to go well, well, you need to sort of follow my guidelines you know, because I'm the leader here. But I set the policies. I set where we're going. I, I said, this is the vision. And if you're going to question everything, every step that I make and everything, like you know, your, your chapter, it's, like, it's going to make it difficult. Guess what? Like Jesus would do. Jesus, you know, I explained it last week. He makes a, makes a distinction between the crowd and the disciples. To the crowd, you know, in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, he said, when after telling the story of the, the parable of the sower, 
And then the Bible says the disciples came to him and said, What's the meaning of the Why are you telling the parables? What's the meaning of it? And he said, To you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside. He called them the outsiders with the implication that you guys, the disciples, you are the insiders. To those who are outside, I'm going to tell them only in parables, but to you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. He made a distinction. And as I said to uh, Peter, John, and James in Garden of Gethsemane, there was a point where he was so vulnerable. He said to, to the three of them, stay here and pray because I am in distress even to the point of death. That's what he said to the disciples. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32. He wouldn't say that to the crowd. He didn't even say that to the 12 people, only three people, after journeying with him for three and a half years. Concerning family, you know, the question is, I'm not quite sure that saying those in God's will is a new definition of family in our relationship. Well, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. He said, Brother will deliver brother, will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. <laughs> I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's a pretty severe sort of comment, isn't it? In other words, in the context of the pursuit of the purpose of God, sometimes what we think friendship or friends, they are the biggest stumbling block in that pursuit. Why? Have you heard the word taking for granted? Familiarity? You know? Because I said before, who belongs where? It depends on the spiritual maturity. Uh, I, I'm going to repeat again what I said last week. The crowd outside, Jesus will not bring them in because there's no spiritual maturity. Especially in, in, in our situation as a pastor, if I bring somebody who's not spiritually mature into the inner circle, that lack of maturity will cause them to fail to distinguish between my humanity, the real me, to the anointing of God in my life. Whether you like it or not, there is a real me. I mean, you know. There is called, there's a difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what people think of me. Character is what my wife knows about me. <laughs> Even though she knows all those things about me, but she still respects me because she knows, because there's a the maturity that she can make a distinction between my humanity to the divine work of God in my life. And like I said, if I bring Tony, who is spiritually not mature and can't make that distinction, it's not fair on him. He will cause an offense. He will get disappointed. He, you know, and he, he will cause an offense. And like I said, he might leave the church. 
It's not fair, but, but that is not a death sentence. That is not like, that's it, you know, life sentence. No, no, no. Then what I need to do is I need to build him up, bring him to a point of maturity in order for him to come into that circle. That's what church is. I can't live my life just keep holding people at bay and it's like, no, no, I have to be careful in bringing them in, but I have to train them. You know, like, really, with everything. And I, I have to watch how, the, how they respond to the truth of the Word of God constantly. It's not about how perfect you are, but how perfect your responses on any given situation. David was not perfect. I mean, he was terrible, but he was perfect in his responses in any given situation. That's how you gauge the people's maturity. I watch how people sit under correction, really. It's not how big the mistake is. Here's the thing. Most cases, it's not how big your mistake is. It's about failure to acknowledge and admit that mistake is the bigger mistake itself than the mistake that you made. You talk about repentance. Repentance is not just, oops, sorry. No, no, no. Repentance first beginning with admission. I did it. And acknowledgement. And then saying sorry and guess what the Bible says you have to produce fruit that keeps with, in keeping with repentance means turning away I'm going to see you how, you how you live your life is there fruit of repentance or not you know that's how we grow in the Lord okay let's go back to the passage so keep that keep that thing there don't, don't take it off spaces so as we go through the passes, we, uh, we see different dynamics and different nature of relationship. Actually, the passes really begin with uh, chapter 5, verse 22. Begin with, wife, submit to your husband. Now, that's a long subject. We talk about that probably another time. Because it takes half a chapter. You know, Paul talked about marriage. But let's just begin with, with uh, children, with uh, chapter 6. So here we, we see the relationship, children to parents, and there's a requirement for obedience. Parents to children, in uh, chapter 6, verse 4, there is a requirement not to stir them up into anger or do not exasperate them, you know? I want to say this to young parents. Young parents, listen to this. You think, you, yeah, I love my kids, you know, they're gorgeous, they're cute. By the time they hit, 10, 11, 12, 13, you will exasperate them at some point. <laughs> I thought we were wonderful parents until they start to show what they like and what they don't like. And then it so happened that what they like is what I don't like and what they don't like is what I like. Guess what? Conflicts start to happen. And my kids can, 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 can confirm this. I exasperated my kids. So, just a thought. Young parents, I know you, you, 
often we have little babies, we have these starry eyes, you know, very good parents. Well, I'm, I'm not denying you're good parents, but you will come to that point. And you will. <laughs> Believe me or not. And then, of course, servant to masters. Okay? This is the requirement. Serve as you serve the Lord. Not to please men, but to please God. And God will reward you. So that's a perspective. And masters to servants. Do the same. Have the same perspective. And stop threatening. <laughs> you remember, as I said, I, I work in the factory. And, you know, in Australia, I know, there's always, uh, you know, Australians are, are coming to Australia and working in Australia. One of the probably biggest things that I notice is that, how, especially in Victoria, how strong the union movement is. So I work in the factory. I have to, I had to be part of the union. I have to be a member of the union. Now, being a disciple of Jesus, it cut right across what I believe. Because the union, you know, when they have a meeting, the union would actually, they would, they would make the demands to the employers. So I, I thought, as I, as I looked at that, I thought, hang on, I thought the wage payer is supposed to tell the, pay, uh, the, the wage earner what to do, not the wage earners tell the wage payers what to do. But the union seems to, to, to do that. It's like, so if they... If they, they don't like the, the, the term, they just go on strike. <laughs> and I, I tend to, you know, give my opinion and cut across the whole thing, and they didn't like me, obviously. But because, why? Because I knew I wasn't working in the factory. And often people will say, because, of, you know, I was a tire builder, and we will make tires, and we have to write how many tires we make. And people will write, well, I have to make 500 tires a day. And people will make 450 and write 500, or 400 will write 500. And people will say, why don't you lie? Why don't you just, you know, one, two tires? I said, no, because I'm serving God. I'm not serving the boss here. We all need to think like that. You're not serving your boss. You're serving God. So, Masters and servants, and I, I, I want to add to this in First Timothy five verse, verse one and two, when Paul set the agenda for Timothy, the young pastor, how he relate to the people. He said, "Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters." And he added, "In all or in absolute." Purity. <laughs> so here's the thing. With all the different scenario of relationship above in that passage, they all point to spaces in relationship. Now, I want to ask you this. What defines a space? My space to your space. What do you call it? Boundaries, <laughs> right? Every person has a space. Calvin has a space. I have a space, but there is a boundary. And I think it is important that we know and respect in, in our relationship others' boundaries. Crossing boundaries 
It's called trespassing. <laughs> Boundaries in, re- in relationship is real. They are real. Some are real because they're, you know, as, as mentioned above, they're pretty much boundaries. How you are to relate to your master, to your mom and dad, to your kids. Some of them are, are clearly stated, but here's the thing. They are just as real even if they are not stated. They, ex- they exist even if they are not written. And even though they are not written, they are not stated, when you cross the boundaries, when you, you, you break that, that line, you cross that line, you will suffer the consequences. Absolutely. You know, how many of you have, there's no state, nothing stated, you know, this is our boundary, because the relationship is like that. You don't, you don't want to, okay, now we are in a relationship, this is our boundary. You don't do that, right? I mean, that's stupid. But you come to, to a relationship interaction and then you said something and then you walk away from, I shouldn't have said that. How many have felt that? You know you've crossed the line. Or I shouldn't have done that. I've crossed the line. Even though it's not stated, it exists. Here's the symptoms of boundaries being crossed. The loss of trust. <laughs> and the loss of respect. Another symptom is in a more severe situation, anger and frustration because boundaries have been crossed. This is this this way. This is not compre- you know like comprehensive, but there's some important point. Another one is disappointment. When boundaries are crossed, there will be disappointment. Because in the in the building of relationship, you know the 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 the, the big thing in the relationship is expectation, right? So when boundaries are crossed, guess what? Why disappointed? Because there's a violation of expectation. It's like you expect something, but it was, it's been violated. I want to say this. In many relationships, an unresolved disappointment developed into an offense. An unresolved offense develops into betrayal. What do you do with those things? (laughs) And what people do, because it wasn't managed to to begin with, I mean, that's what relationship, you take the risk, right? And only to find, like, oh, actually, you know? And so what people do, there are many degrees of, of, of what people do, but when that happened, the sense of, of disappointment and, and mistrust and all those things, what, what's the first thing they do? They reposition. 
people, we have put people in a different, you know, so they reposition people in the space. And in some situations, it's almost irrevocable. Depends on how severe that, that offense is, really. And unfortunately, in many marriages, that's, that's what happened. It's almost like I talked to different people who divorced, and, and I said, is it in any way reconcilable? And in at least a handful of people that I've talked to, I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about people outside, it's just impossible. Yeah. So, what do you do when, when uh, things like this happen? Well, you need to redefine and re-look again and re-examine, re-clarify the relationship and rebuild. I believe in rebuilding relationships. Even though some, some things are, are difficult, but you have to. And also review your expectation in the relationship. Some, sometimes some expectation, you have to have expectation, and that's what relationship is. But some certain expectations are, are just unrealistic, and it's false expectation. Yeah? So you need, to, you need to have real expectation. With you young people, if you, if, you, if you have a girlfriend, for example, then pretty soon you're going to have a girlfriend, I'm sure. <laughs> the expectation that, we have, that I have for you is that the, the issue of boundaries, not only respecting the, 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 your girlfriend's boundary, but you need to protect her, to protect her boundary as a man. You know what, with, even with, with, with uh, husband and wife, there are boundaries. I need to protect my wife's space too. You know? And she does that to me too. So there are true expectations and there are false. Now, for example, if you expect me to be perfect and be nice all the time, always smile, you know what? That's a stupid expectation. But you can expect me to be honest with you. You can expect me to be an example to you. And I can put that on me. Yeah. You can expect integrity from me, and you have to as a pastor. That's a good expectation. But if you expect for me to to be there to be to fulfill whatever needs you have. I'm not Jesus. You only have one Savior. His name is Jesus. And I am not him. <laughs> so what, what, what do we do in that situation? Okay. You run to God in a broken relationship. Doesn't matter how severe the situation is. Run to God as the only one that can meet every expectation. The only thing that you can, the only person that you can trust. You know, somebody once said relationship is like a, like ATM. You know, you can, you can only get out what you put in. 
<laughs> and here's the thing. That's the relationship. But trust is like a credit card. Something being entrusted to you that you can't actually manage that relationship. And in marriage, in friendship, in all those things, many people dug so much, has dug so much into the credit card of their relationship. When you get to that point, guess what? The bank said, I'm going to take your credit card away from you. Relationships like that. Every time you blow it, you cross the line. I'm talking about marriage or whatever, friendship. You dig into the credit card. It's like that. The trust is getting, getting thinner and thinner and thinner. <laughs> and then one day, you lose your credit card. <laughs> My question is, how much have you got in your trust account? <laughs> it's a play on the word. So, here's the thing. When, you, you are, when we are caught in that situation, you know, the first thing we need to do is to repent, whether you're right or wrong. Just, okay, God, examine your heart and say, God, where do I go from here? I want to, I'm going to tell you this story. This is very personal for Diane and I. We were in a situation where, you know, church. Okay, this is Family. We are in this particular church somewhere in the world here, in Australia. And somebody gossiped about Diane and I and, uh, to the leaders. That's what people do. That's, we, we call it humanity. You know, like we call it being human. Some people are stupid because of jealousy and all those things. So they gossip about Diane and I to the point that the the key leaders back off from us. Remember? They sort of put the space, sort of, you know, like, they backed off from us. And Diane and I didn't know what, because it all happened behind our backs. What happened? How come all of a sudden we were the best of friends and all of a sudden there's just no contact? Like, we asked them, we, you know, like we would do. We would ask them, okay, is everything, everything we do that offended you? No, everything's fine, but we knew. Not only that, Almost the whole panel of leadership is just boom, back off. And you know when you're caught in this situation, the more you try, it's almost like swimming. When you when you drown in on the sea, the more you panic, the more you're gonna drown. What you need to do is to get in your back and just let it flow, you know, let you yourself float. It's like when you're in that situation, don't panic, just trust the word of God to sustain you. Because you're talking about being in a community. Now, everything in both Diane and I, everything about us, we wanted to move or just leave the church. And that's what people do. They leave the church. That's it. You know, like everything in us. But instead, you know what we did? We got down on our knees. As a matter of fact, a whole group of us from this church, we went on holiday. Diana called this holiday from hell. With our kids, we went on holiday, and this group of people totally, we were totally separated. We were all in the same compound, right? And they all went on, on the boat ride and they didn't, they didn't invite us. As a matter of fact, they, they told our kids not to play with their kids. What would you do in that situation? 
If you draw your life from the relationship, you're done. But we drew, we've decided to draw our life from God alone and God, God, that's it. We got down on our knees, we cried, we wept, we got frustrated, we, we, we prayed and prayed and prayed. That's what we did. Because our trust is in God. And here's the thing, as I said, we wanted to leave the church. But Diane and I, we, we, we held hands, we said, if we're going to leave the church, we're going to leave triumphantly. We're not going to leave, leave the church like a, like a dog with its tail between its legs. We're going to leave on a high point. It was the worst 12 months in our life, to date maybe. 12 months, we stuck it out. We just, during praise and worship, we knew all the, every, you, you, you walk into, into, a, into a crowd and you feel like every eye is on you. It's like you got two heads or something, you know? We couldn't care less because it's the God that, you know, we have the one God that we worship. And we go to church to worship God for nothing else, just to worship God. Tears running down that guy's eyes. I was frustrated. Being Ambonese, I'm angry. Uh, you know, I knew my, martial arts. I still remember that, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't believe me, look at hey, you know, like come on, man. Like I can I can talk with you. Like hello. <laughs> so we just wanted to fight, but that's well, that's the human nature. We decided to walk by the spirit. We cried at home. We, 12 months later, it came to the surface. Finally, one on Christmas Eve, the offender came to us and apologized. And apologized about everything. And this main leader who backed off from us because people gossiped about, about Diane and I, apologized to us. And the wife came to die and said, I'm sorry that everything that happened in us. And die just gently said, what happened to our relationship? And everything was restored. So by the, after Christmas, six months later, we, we were asked to, uh, to look after another, to help with praise and worship in another church. It was Rick Brower. He asked us to, to help with, with this praise and worship. So, so we thought, this is God. But when we left, we left on a high note. Everybody was devastated that we left. Well, we didn't leave because, because of any issue. We left because we were invited. Somebody asked for help. So we went. And I think that was the making of us. I didn't realize that God said, no, listen, all those times is a preparation for what you're about to, to do for my kingdom. If you're going to look after my people, good preaching is not going to be enough. Moving in the power of the Holy Spirit is not going to be enough. You know how Jesus said, two people build a house, one built on the sand, and one built on the, on the rock. Yeah, you know, same song, you know the story. And he said, and the wave and the wind and the storm come to the house. 
The house that built on the sand got destroyed, but the house that built on the rock stood still. I want to listen to the point here. The storm, the wind, the, 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 the whatever, tsunami and all those things came to both houses. Whether built on the rock or built on the sand, it came to both houses. So just because you do the will of God, just because you, you are faithful with the word of God, don't think that I am free from the storm. It's coming, man. It's there in, in the gospel. The storm will come even if you build your house on the rock. The only difference is that you will stand. And many Christians, they love the atmosphere, they love this stuff going on, but they are not willing to build a house on the rock. So guess what? Whether you build your house on the rock or on the sand, the storm will come against you. But when you build on the rock, you know how hard building a house on, on the rock? Because you have to dig into the rock. It's easy to build a house on the sand. You just, you know, you just stick the, 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 the whatever timber into the sand. You know, it's easy. It's soft ground. You build a house. It's done. By the time the guy built a house on the rock, like, hey, guys, look at my house. The, the guy who's building the, the house on the rock, he's still digging. His house is not ready yet. He's still digging because it's hard. Yeah. While the other guy is boasting about his house, look how amazing it is. This guy is still digging into the, into the rock. But once you got the foundation, you can build a mansion. You can build anything. Doesn't matter what storm, what wind. Jesus said, it will stand. So my thing is, why I'm preaching this, it's like every moment, you all have a choice to make. Just every day, it's just one choice at a time. I am choosing God. I am choosing God. I am choosing the word of God. That's when you make strong churches. That's when you make strong believers. That's when you make strong disciples. Let's all stand up. I want this song to be a prayer in, in our lives. We're going to pray. You know what? Christianity was found within a radical or as a radical movement because people, this idea of self-interest, whatever, it's, it's like people pay the price to do the will of God. It's like there is a mentality in the first century Christians like I am going to do the will of God at any cost, whatever the cost is. I'm going to obey Jesus. But when we look at in this world now, you cannot connect Christianity to radicalism. It's not the implication of what Christianity is. It's not about us 
doing crazy things. Just have the guts to just stand on the Word of God because that's what the Word of God says. I'm going to live by it whether I like it or not. Let's be gutsy Christians. Come on, guys. Have the still in, in, in our, in, inside of us. I'm not going to be tossed to and fro by all the winds and of whatever manipulation by other people. I'm going to live by the Word of God, and that's the way the Bible says it. I'm going to believe it. As a matter of fact, I've heard people say, the Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it. No, I'm going to change it. The Bible says it. That settles it. And therefore, I'm going to believe it. You know? Be that kind of disciple of Jesus. Let's lay hands on our hearts. Lord, at this moment, I ask for the Holy Spirit to minister to every person. That's including me, Jesus. Relationship is a wonderful thing. It's created by you, but somehow it's just got messed up because of sin in the world. But as your disciples, Jesus, our responsibility is to respond to the Word of God, to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are people here struggle with the, in, in relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's with family or relatives or at work. Whatever situation, Lord, I pray that as the spirit of truth that leads us into all the truth will sustain us and help us to empower us to stand by the word of God because that is your function, Holy Spirit, to write the laws, write the word of God in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Touch your people. Even now, Lord. If their forgiveness might, be, might have to be done, well, let them go home and forgive. If they need to repent now, Lord Jesus, in between you and them, Lord, let them repent, Lord. If there, there, there are wrong expectations, then let it be destroyed. And let them build a good expectation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just minister to your people now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just lift whatever you, you, you have. Lift it to the Lord. Bring it before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, why don't you all raise your hands? I'm going to close the meeting and pronounce blessing over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, with every hand lifted up before you here, I prophesy an outpouring of your blessing, Lord, so that we, as your people, as we leave this place, we are people marked by your favor. And your blessing will not stop with us, but it will flow out of our lives and touch many lives around us, beginning with our family members, our neighbors, our friends at work, at school, at uni, anywhere, Lord, because we are people purchased by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.